0: I invite you to turn um, in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Luke 1, 39 to 45, hear now the word of the Lord. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask now that you would fill our hearts with understanding that we may experience as well the joy that comes from knowing Christ and being in his presence. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this morning we continue this short little series on Christmas Through Mary's Eyes. And we're looking at what commentators call and scholars call the visitation. That's these verses here. But before we do, let's remember the meeting that Mary had with the angel and the things we learned. Remember, Mary taught us what it means to be and live the Christian life. She teaches us what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what true faith looks like. Mary believed and trusted in complete dependence on God's power that what the angel said to her would come true. And you recall and you know the message in the story. It's no ordinary message. This young girl would become pregnant, conceived by the Holy Spirit, remaining a virgin, She would call the name of her child salvation. He would be great and the son of the most high. He would be fully human and fully divine king who would sit on his father's, on David's throne forever. He would rule over this kingdom that would know no end. He was the long awaited Messiah. That was the message given to this teenage girl. That was the message she believed and trusted and submitted herself to. She abandons herself in faith in God, and it's that type of faith that the Bible calls us to, a faith that accepts a mission so impossible and so life-altering, and we would never impose it upon ourselves, a faith that bows before God and in calm reliance upon Him and says, "'Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word.'" That's the faith Scripture calls us to. And yet, we're human. Mary was human. What is she to do with a message like this? Yes, she submitted to the Lord, which is amazing enough. But this young 12 to 16-year-old girl who is in love, who's anticipating her wedding day, is now pregnant, who could she tell the news to? Who would believe her? Well, as we come to our passage this morning, we realize that the message that the angel shared with Mary gave her a hint of where she could turn. If you first look back, or look at, excuse me, look at verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. See, see, Elizabeth was the one person she realized, the angel hinted at it here, uh, that she could turn to. Elizabeth was barren, we're told, and now she's in their sixth month. And so Mary realized Elizabeth was experiencing something akin to what she was experiencing, not exactly as we know. Elizabeth's pregnancy was a miracle, though, of sorts. And so she has someone to turn to she could go to elizabeth and we were told in verse 30 on those days mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in judea and she entered the house of zachariah and greeted elizabeth uh, now before the suspicious looks began there in nazareth uh, before the whispering began before the people began inquiring how this unwed 14-year-old girl got pregnant Mary rises, she flees in haste to Judah, to the one person she could commune with, the one person who would understand her dilemma and, 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 and even bless her for the news that she would share. See, she found a kindred spirit in her relative, Elizabeth. It was a connection that went deeper than mere blood. It was a deep communion in the gospel, in the promises of God, into the the Word of God. These women both believed in the promises in the Word. They both believed the promise given them, specifically by the angel. Despite their age difference, 12 to 14, and 60 to 70 for Elizabeth, they come together in the gospel, Now, we're told in verse 56 that this communion lasted three months before Mary returned to Nazareth. And so it's brought right up to prior to John's birth. And so Mary, having her faith strengthened through fellowship with her older cousin, is now ready to return home. She's likely physically showing that she's indeed pregnant now and is ready to face the mockery. She's ready to face the slander. She's ready to face the gossip that will surely ensue when she arrives. And and see, it's here that we get the first lesson from Mary and her, her walk with the Lord. See, when we face a crisis of faith, like Mary was facing here, and, and, and we've, we've submitted ourselves to God. We say, Lord, you know, we submit ourselves to, to you, Lord. Um, the next place to turn is the communion of the saints. And in this case, it was a mature saint. Mary didn't keep her concern to herself. She turned to another mature believer. She had the visitation of Gabriel himself to tell her a message, but she still needed to consult with someone and have someone speak to her heart, and so she turns to a mature believer. See, beloved, this is why corporate worship, this is why community fellowship is so important, why small group fellowship is so important. See, it's in the communion of the saints in the context of the church, that God desires us to bring our concerns. That's where He desires for us to confess our sins to one another. You know the one another passages. It's in the church, not, not a building, but in the church of the full believers that we are to encourage one another, build one another up, love one another, pray for one another. Over and over again, we're told this, but all too often when we face a crisis, when we begin to struggle with something in our life, we, we have a tendency, maybe out of pride or whatever it is or fear of some kind, to isolate ourselves. We're talking about Mary here who was a teenager. Think of a teenager who's facing a crisis. And maybe it it has to do with their sin. Maybe they're dealing with a temptation, as all teenagers face. Maybe they have been given in, or maybe it's a crisis of faith. All of a sudden, they're like, I'm just not sure that I believe this anymore. I'm struggling with belief. I I, I don't know if I believe that a virgin gave birth. They're struggling, and they're embarrassed. And worse, their parents get embarrassed. Well, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to know that my child struggles with faith. And, and they know that the church, generally speaking, in its pockets has gossipers that can't wait to inflict themselves on this individual out of some type of spiritual pride to be able to talk about them behind their back. And so what do they do? They begin to isolate themselves from the church because they fear they will be looked down upon. And it's at that very moment that they needed the community of believers more than ever. See, what Mary teaches us here is that when life gets hard, when we can't understand what we're dealing with, when we're confused and everything seems to unravel, the place to turn is to the church. The place to turn is to your brother's and sisters in Christ. And I want you to notice something here. Mary didn't turn to her peers. She turned to an aged believer, a mature believer, possibly 60 years older than her. See, all too often in churches, not only do we try to cover up or people are afraid to admit sin, that that we isolate the young from the old. But here what we find in our passage is the fruit of true communion, it spans generations and, and unites in the gospel. What, what Mary needed was someone seasoned in the faith to strengthen her. And our young believers need the same. It's the uniting together of the old and the young in the body of Christ. That's where we share our faith together. When we worship together and when we share our faith together, young and old, it's it's a beautiful thing in the sight of the Lord, and it's necessary. If the young are going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will need mature, older saints, parents, but also brothers and sisters to guide them. And so there's this coming together. But I want you to notice there's another coming together in our passage here. Not only is there the old and the young women coming together, uh, there is also a coming together of the old and the new covenant. When Mary enters Elizabeth's house, the old and the new covenant can be found under the same roof. See, in the Old Testament, the Messiah is prophesied. Every old covenant prophet essentially has this message. God's going to send forth a Redeemer. God's going to send forth a Messiah. God's going to send forth His Son into this world, uh, uh, the King, and He'll bear the penalty of our sin. That's the general message. And Elizabeth's son that she will give birth to, John the Baptist, was the forerunner of Christ. He is literally the last prophet of the old covenant to point to the Messiah. And Jesus, who fulfills the, the, the prophecy, enters the room in Mary's womb. And so the last prophet of the old covenant meets the Messiah who will initiate the new covenant. The old is is now giving way to the new. And when that happens in redemptive history, you expect something amazing. And that's what we find here. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Now that word "leaped" has to do with the young who cannot be still for a moment, and they're they're always moving. It was used of the impulsive restlessness of an animal, and but it's also at the same time associated with joy. And so you put these meanings together, and you learn that John could just not stand still in the womb. He, he, he was restless when he heard Mary's voice, and he jumped with joy. And what is remarkable about this is that the prophet John is here in the womb fulfilling his calling, and, and, and as one early church father has written, not yet born, John already prophesies and will still, and while still in the enclosure of his mother's womb, confesses the coming in Christ with movements of joy. He was a prophet prophesying even before birth. Now, Phil Reichen, I think, says it well. He says, John the Baptist was the only child ever to use a womb for a pulpit. In the liquid darkness of his mother's womb, the unborn child kicked for joy, leaping at the sound of Mary's voice, and in this way was preparing people for the coming of Christ. Now, Mary, I mean, excuse me, Elizabeth is also, she's six months pregnant. She felt the kick. Uh, of John before this, but there was something different about this kick. She could sense her baby was leaping for what? Joy, right? Verse 44 For behold, when the sound of the young, your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my moon leaped for joy. You think about this, you ever notice? She knew something that modern day abortionists don't understand, despite all the science that the fetus in her womb was a person with emotions. And this fetus was filled with joy over the weak old child in Mary's womb who was also a person with emotion. You get the point here. If Mary or Elizabeth would have aborted their pregnancies, they would have been putting to death a person with emotion. A, a, a clump of cells didn't leap for joy. A person leapt for joy. Now that aside, in addition, it's, it's also likely that Mary, uh, uh, excuse me, Elizabeth knew the angel's promise, right? To fill with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That was the promise given to him. That was what the angel said to Zachariah about John. And Luke one fourteen, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Verse fifteen, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so he's filled from the Spirit. The Spirit didn't fill lump of uh, 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 cells. It filled a person, and, and Mary knew this, and she understood what John, I mean, um, her husband Zachariah would have said to her, and so she had also had an inkling that this was no ordinary kicking is the point, that, that this was something special. John was reacting to the work of the Spirit in his heart, revealing to him that Mary's child was no ordinary child he understood from the womb as it were and was able to express it the only way he could by leaping for joy that this was the son of god the promised messiah and that reality that truth was the cause of his rejoicing and john's rejoicing is joined by his mother elizabeth's rejoicing they're both filled with the same spirit Verse 41 and beginning of verse 42, she shouts when John jumps. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. And what makes her shout? What makes what compels her to cry out? It's the coming of Christ. She recognized Elizabeth, as did her son, that she was in the presence of the long-awaited Messiah. And in his presence, she is driven to song. Now, this isn't written in song form in our Bibles, but it's actually a song. God gives Elizabeth the privilege of singing the first Christmas carol. Elizabeth has the honor of singing the first song of praise to the incarnate Messiah. She cries out, we're told, with a loud voice, singing, verse 42 and following, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord.'" Now, I want you to notice something about Elizabeth. Elizabeth. For six months, what do you think Elizabeth's greatest excitement has been? She's pregnant. She's pregnant. You would imagine, you know, somebody walks up there and they go to speaking no, out. I'm pregnant. She's been waiting all her life. She didn't think she was going to happen. That's why this is is kind of a miracle. Um, Before Mary could get a word in, she would be telling the story. You're not going to believe it, an angel. I mean, she would have shouted out. But that's not what you find here. Her focus immediately is on God and what he had done. Mary she gives the spotlight to. And more importantly, she gives Mary's child the spotlight. Her focus is on Jesus at this point, not John. She's not jealous of Mary, but honored Mary as the mother of her Lord. She demonstrates that that spirit of Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Don't look to your own interest. Look to the interest of others. That's the attitude, Paul tells us there in Philippians 2, that Jesus himself had. He humbled himself and became man. You know, what the incarnation is all about. That was Elizabeth. She did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. She humbled herself here. She considered others better. She put others' interests before her own. Blessed are you, Mary, she says. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. Nothing about herself. It's all about Mary and her child. See, as amazing as her own pregnancy was, and it was a miraculous, as it were, It really just pales in comparison to the pregnancy of Mary. Now, let's be clear. Elizabeth's not worshiping Mary, uh, but she's commending Mary's faith. Mary took God at his word in light of all the things we talked about earlier that, that the angel says to her that she has to try to comprehend as a teenage girl. But but she took God at his word. And so Mary, Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's what verse 45 says. Again, she doesn't talk about her child, that her child was going to be used to the Lord. She focuses on Christ. She's overwhelmed with joy because of Christ. See, like her son, Mary, both John, I mean, excuse me, Elizabeth. Both John and Elizabeth are filled with the Spirit. And, and, and because they're filled with the Spirit, they're filled with joy in the presence of Jesus. And this and, and this is the experience, or should be the experience of everyone who recognizes for the very first time that Jesus is the Christ. I, I've told you my story. I, was, I got saved older in life. It I, I, I was for me. Like, an immediate change of attitude. And I know it can be for you if, if, like Elizabeth, you believe. See, what we have here, if we just step back, we see a picture of sorts of the lost sinner who comes to Christ to find salvation in Him. Think about it. Elizabeth was consumed with herself. That is, she was consumed with her own pregnancy. And that all changes when? When Jesus is in her presence. The Holy Spirit fills her, and so her focus shifts from herself to Christ as she sees Jesus for who he is. And when that happens, she humbles herself and she confesses that Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 43 and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She calls this unborn child my Lord. It's the title from the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110. This is where David referred to the Messiah as my Lord. And so she confesses her faith in her Lord, her personal Lord, Christ. She looks beyond his humanity. She looks beyond the fact that he is in the womb. She sees his deity by faith and acknowledges him as Lord. And that causes her to rejoice. And that's, that's how it works with us. This, this is what theologians call the, the order salutis, the order of salvation. There's events that happen, and, and how we as believers ever believe in the first place. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Came into Mary's life, he 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 came in Elizabeth's light, he entered John, he comes into our lives and he regenerates our heart. And and then the gospel message is proclaimed and, and, and you see Jesus for who he is. I had the gospel preached to me many weeks. And I just thought, yeah, thanks. Nothing. And then all of a sudden I believed it. And what changed? Well, the, the Spirit entered me. I heard the gospel message. and This then causes us to turn from self, to humble ourselves, uh, to bow before Christ and submit to His Lordship and trust Him for salvation. And then what happens is our heart is strangely warmed and we rejoice in God for our salvation. When I got saved, you remember I, I mentioned this, I, I believed I knew something changed. I called up a friend and said, you know, I I, I just went forward at a church. I I, I believed this gospel. I didn't know anything about regeneration, order salutus, any of that stuff. I believed in Jesus. It wasn't hard for me to understand I was a sinner, so I believed that he paid for my sin. And 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 when when my friend said, I said, I don't know what to do now, it's kind of weird. He goes, Well, just forget about it. And the only thing I knew, and this is what I said, I remember saying this. Yeah, but, uh, but I don't think I can. I don't think I can forget about it. Um, I, 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 you know, I, yeah, did, I, did pride still get in the way? Did, was there still sin in my life? Yes, but I knew I couldn't turn from Jesus. And so it caused me to rejoice. Mary rejoices. John rejoices. Elizabeth rejoices. I rejoiced. I am sure you rejoiced. We should all be rejoicing if we know who Jesus Christ is. Is And we have all the more reason. She believed because the Spirit worked in her heart when Jesus was in the womb of her her cousin, her young little cousin. We live after the birth and the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And for that reason, we should rejoice all the more as we look back on what Christ has accomplished. Even as we look back every Christmas, we should rejoice. Well, there's one more thing. One more thing I found in my studies that I want you to notice here. Think about it. I want you to picture the scene. We have three of the first believers in the New Testament. We have John in the womb. We have Mary at the age of 12 and Elizabeth in her old age. All three are gathered together here in this little house. You could call it a little house church, as it were. They're filled with joy in the presence of Christ Again, emphasizing the importance of bridging the generations and coming together as one body to worship our Lord. If there, is, if there is any more fitting, is there, that is, any more fitting response to the gospel, to that good news, than the response of coming together together to praise and worship Christ with others. Everyone who's received this good news of glad tidings and have encountered Jesus that's the purpose of worship in a nutshell. It's a place to come together, young and old, to be reminded of the gospel. A place to come together in the presence of God to exalt God for his salvation. A place to come together where we can put our, our cares aside, even but for a moment, maybe just for this hour, put them aside while we fellowship with one another and with Jesus himself. A place to come together to have our faith strengthened so we can go back into this world that we live in and be a light to those around us. That's what worship's all about. You know what it's not about? You, me. It's not about us. It's not about making us feel good. It's about celebrating the fact that through Christ, we are now freed from our slavery to sin and rebellion so that we can commune with him and one another and worship him together. That is what we're called to do. That is our focus. And so by way of summary... Let's just look at some of the lessons we have learned. We have learned about the importance of the communion of the saints. We've talked about that, especially in a time of crises. Know this, that if you're living in some type of sin and and it's gripping you and you, you don't know what to do, you can come see me. Believe me, you won't surprise me with whatever your sin is. After 30 years of doing this, I can guarantee you it won't be like, wow, people do it? No. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, you can feel free to come. You may be confronted, you may be called to repent, but you will be loved. We have learned the importance of the older saints, ministering to and encouraging the younger saints. We have learned that the scripture teaches that a baby in the womb is a person with emotion, and therefore abortion is wrong. We have learned that the old covenant has given way to the new covenant with the coming of John the Baptist and Jesus. We have learned the importance of the Holy Spirit giving us faith to believe. He filled both John and Elizabeth. In fact, we're, we see here the active work of the Trinity. God the Father sends a message about God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit enables belief in that message. We have learned the importance of true humility. Both Mary and Elizabeth humbly submit to God in his word, and we have learned the true purpose of worship. It's completely and utterly about Christ, a place for the saints to gather in his presence and proclaim the greatness of our Lord. And there's one last lesson, one last lesson, one more lesson before I close. that has been hinted at throughout. You will understand, beloved, never find true joy apart from this Christ. You can find happiness. People do it every day. Maybe in a bottle, maybe at a party, whatever it may be. You can find temporary happiness, but it's only in his presence that you can know true joy. That's what uh, Elizabeth was experiencing. That's what John was experiencing from from the womb. Jesus said, I came that your joy may be full. I came into this world, he said. You want to know why we celebrate Christmas? Because Jesus came into the world so you would be filled with joy. I was born so that you can be filled with joy. That's the lesson of Christmas. That's the hope of Christmas. It's not receiving gifts, although that brings us happiness. Feel free to send gifts. I like gifts, but that's not really where it's found. It's not found in money. True joy is not found. We've learned this in Ecclesiastes. We've learned it in James. It's not found in fame. It's not found in prestige. It's not found in earthly pleasures. The joy that we need, the joy that is sustainable, the joy that is always there is found in relationship with Christ alone. That's the message of Christmas. And so come all you faithful, let us worship the newborn King. Let's pray. Father, we... Seek that joy. We lit the candles of hope and peace. We will light a candle of joy, but we seek that joy in Christ alone. And even now as we are gathered here together to praise him, receive our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.